You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. So today, the message is entitled, The Purpose of Prophecy. And this is, a number, this is number 11 in Restoring the Soul, The Purpose of Prophecy. And we've been talking about the power of praise, the power of prayer. And today, we're looking at prophecy and the power of prophecy and why prophesy. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into this. Father, I'm asking that just as Lena prayed, that there would be a, a fresh wind and breath of your spirit blowing into us, blowing into our church, reviving us, restoring us. Let your word come to us. And this is a word that we need to put into practice as every message that we hear So release your gift of prophecy, train us in this area, and let your people, let us be a prophetic people, and let me share what you want me to share this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And let's put our hands on our hearts and pray this with me. Dear Jesus, with some conviction, dear Jesus, speak to my heart. And change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So let's get into this first. Uh, This is a portion of scripture that I translated, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. I did this a little while ago, my plan. And the reason why I'm sharing this is in remembrance of my mom, Yesterday was seven years since she passed away and went into glory. And this was her favorite scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to zoom in here. You can see the pictures of uh, the lighthouse and prayer and basket of fruit. And then the weaver weaving the basket and uh, that special uh, tapestry there. So let me read this to you. And my mom would share this with everybody. Um, and it has a special place in our hearts. So we got the, someone is, uh, who's, who's not muted? We're all muted? We're there? <laughs> all right, all right, back. Um, so here it is. Yes, I know the intricate, Yes, I know the intricate plans I've woven for you, whispers Yahweh. Intricate plans for shalom, peace, wholeness, and security, not for pain, heartache, and sorrow. It's my plan to give you a bright future and vivid hope. You will call on me, walk in my way, and fervently pray to me. Then I will hear you. You will seek and find me when you pursue me, with your whole heart. Yes, I will let myself be found by you, whispers Yahweh. Moreover, I will restore to you the life I planned. So this was a prophetic word spoken by Jeremiah into a very dark situation. And the situation was the Israelites were in exile. They were in the Babylonian territory. So they were not in their homeland and they were losing hope. Uh, many of them had lost hope. And it's in that hopelessness that God speaks through Jeremiah. Now notice how it's coming in the first person as if God himself is speaking through Jeremiah. He is speaking through Jeremiah. Yes, I know the intricate plans I've woven for you, whispers Yahweh. So this is something that was whispered into 
Jeremiah. That's, uh, I've chosen to translate it as whisper uh, for the Hebrew word there. This is whispered into Jeremiah's ear. Then Jeremiah speaks it aloud. Intricate plans. No, I know the intricate plans I've woven for you. Intricate plans for shalom, which means peace, wholeness, and security. Not for pain, heartache, and sorrow. Lillian was praying. Hope, right? And that's what we're starting with, this hope. Well, the prophet brings hope. And sometimes when people see prophecy, they think of everything negative and dark. But ultimately, the prophet brings hope to the hopeless. But of course, the hope is not found in the world and the things of this world and the circumstances all being good and everything going your way. The hope is found in God himself and the unfolding of his plan. At the end of this paragraph, it says, it's my plan to give you a bright future and a vivid hope. A bright future and a vivid hope. And some of you know the story that when my mom was battling cancer, everybody that came to her, she shared this verse of scripture. She was weak and frail, so nobody could turn her away. (laughs) And the doctor said, "You you don't have much longer, you don't have much longer to live. So, but she was believing for a miracle all that time. But whoever came to her, she took, She took their hand and preached to them about Jesus, about the need for salvation, that you cannot go to heaven through your own works, but only through through the grace of God, only through receiving Jesus. And she would share this verse of Scripture. This goes on to say, You will call on me, walk in my way, and fervently pray to me. Then I will hear you. You will seek and find me when you pursue me with your whole heart. Yes, I will let myself be found by you, whispers Yahweh. Moreover, I will restore to you the life I planned. So for every one of us, God has a great plan, a bright future. And it's, it's also about us, to get, not just us individually, but his church, his people all together. He has a bright future and a vivid hope for his church, his people. Amen? Amen. So let me get into today. And that, that, that gives us a good foundation of what we're going to be talking about today. Today we'll talk about the power and purpose of prophecy. We'll talk about the power and purpose of prophecy. Specifically, we'll explore why prophesying brings restoration. And Jeremiah's prophecy there was prophesying restoration, hope. And there was power in it. It's recorded today. We still look to those words for hope even today. And they were originally spoken to the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. So how how powerful those words were. And they reverberate throughout time. A few verses, a few more verses to begin with. Prophecy is not just for the Old Testament, but also for the New Testament and today. Now, there is a whole section of believers today that they're small, but they don't believe in prophecy for today. But let me show you that in the book of Acts, prophecy was normal. We see in Acts 19, 6 through 7, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and then how do they respond? They spoke in tongues and prophesied. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And today we're emphasizing that they prophesied. So the Holy Spirit was speaking through them, And they prophesied when the Holy Spirit came on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And there were about 12 men in all. And this happened in Ephesus. These are some ruins from Ephesus in the background. There were about 12 men in all, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And that was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another couple verses of Scripture 
in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. And I, I, you can turn there too because I'd like to read a little bit more. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there too. 1 Corinthians 14. Here it says, follow the way of love. This is Paul exhorting the Corinthian church. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So we'll read that again. He's telling us to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Now in the original, the word gifts is not there. It's how we're, it, gifts is used to communicate what the Spirit gives. Uh, basically, the word is spiritual things, so, but it doesn't translate too well. But I'll read it like that. Follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire spiritual things. Or, and that doesn't translate too well. What, it's try, what Paul is communicating is desire that which comes from the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit gives. So that's why... It's translated gifts of the Spirit. So follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, the Corinthian church went overboard in emphasizing tongues, and tongues, Paul is saying, is important. But if everybody's always speaking in tongues, nobody's going to understand what you're saying, he's, saying. He, he's communicating. So he says, desire prophecy, because prophecy speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And then he's uh, reasoning with the Corinthians, if you do pray in tongues or do a, speak a message in tongues, make sure you interpret it so that people can understand what is happening. So then, uh, let's read this again. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And... We know that that's what happened when Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah 29, 11. It was for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I'll read this here. Again, I'll read more here. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. That means builds up, builds up the church. I would, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Later, later on, he says, verse 12, So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So here is an encouragement to seek God's word, seek prophetic words, seek God's word, and to speak it and do it in love. So that brings us to... Our latest infographic, our latest infographic, why prophesy? How's, every go how's everybody going? You ready? You're, you're, you're ready to get more into this? That's good. This is the bulk of the message. Why prophesy? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about six, six reasons of why prophesy. The Bible is full of prophecy and encourages us to prophesy. Here are a few reasons prophecy is powerful and needed today. Let me get a drink of water here and talk about this. First, what is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking God's word in real time. Prophecy is speaking God's word in real time. So it's not about predictions. That's how the world sees prophecy is all about predictions. But for God, it's not about predictions. And it's not foretelling, but forthtelling. Not foretelling, but forthtelling. 
It's not about predictions. Instead, prophecy is speaking God's word with authority to the present situation. Prophecy is speaking God's word with authority to the present situation. The classic form of prophecy is God speaking in the first person through someone. Like we saw that with Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah is writing this. Jeremiah is speaking this. But he's speaking in the first person. And in English, we have the first person, the second person, and the third person. The first person is I, right? I or we. And then we have the second person is you. And here's a little English lesson, right? <laughs> the third person is uh, he, she, or it. So prophecy classically is God speaking in the first person, the I, and he's speaking through someone. Now, I remember when I first heard this in church, I was deeply offended. Here's some guy, he got up, and he's saying, I, the Lord God, I'm going to do this, and I am going to do that. And I'm thinking as uh, someone that was either, I wasn't saved yet, or I was just saved, and I heard this guy, and I was like, who did... Who does he think he is to say that I this and I that like he's the Lord God? But I didn't understand that prophecy was God speaking through someone. The person is not saying that they are God. They are speaking as a vessel for God. So I didn't understand that and I got offended. And prophecy can be offensive to some people. It can also be very, very powerful and, of course, the Bible is full of prophecy in the first person, especially you find in the Old Testament. We'll look at an example of this in Isaiah chapter 1. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. And Isaiah starts off speaking in this form, in this way. Isaiah chapter 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, here is the prophecy. We'll just start the first three verses. But notice how God is speaking through Isaiah in the first person. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So this is Isaiah speaking out, and the prophetic word is for all the heavens and all the earth and for God's people, and God is lamenting that here are the children he rose up, but he raised them up. Here are the children he raised them up, but... They departed from him. They rebelled against him. They don't know him, even though he's done such amazing things, like parting the Red Sea. They escaped from Egypt. And this can happen today. God works in someone's life, and then they, they forget him and depart from him. And so this is, you see God's heart here for the people of God to know God personally, to know his heart. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God wants us to know him. That's why we have the Father's Heart Unit. At Bible school, we're talking about the Father's Heart. We've been having an amazing time and knowing God. And that really is a theme of Bible school is just not just knowing about Scripture and information about Scripture, but knowing God's heart, knowing who he is, and being, having that personal relationship with him, understanding him. So this is how Isaiah begins. And then we read 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3, which God is, uh, through Paul, the Holy Spirit is telling us to eagerly desire prophecy and to prophesy. So the classic form of prophecy is God speaking in the first person through someone, but it also can come in many different forms. So we shouldn't just limit it to that. It can come in forms of parables, dreams, Songs, poetry, stories, teaching. Prophetic word can come through teaching. Uh, I know uh, Daniel and Diane, they're out on the road. He does these prophetic paintings. God puts it on his heart to do this painting. He does these paintings and he'll give it to somebody and he may give a prophetic word to them. 
They don't even know the Lord, but God speaks through him to those who are lost and gives them hope. So this gift is important in the church and also outside the church, in the workplace, everyday life. And it doesn't have to be freaky. And please don't let it be freaky where your eyes are rolling in the back of your head. This is like a pagan type of prophecy. <laughs> and that, it, there's an ecstatic prophecy that can sometimes happen, but really does it, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and usually you find that stuff in pagan cultures, a person kind of blacks out and starts to say all sorts of things. That's not the type of prophecy that the Father is um, looking for. Um, it's the, the type of prophecy he's looking for is down to earth and normal. Think of Jesus. And Jesus' whole ministry, he's prophesying, and yet he's not acting weird about it. It's every day as he's relating to people at the table, he's going up. In the field, he's preaching. Up on the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching. And so preaching also, if it's done rightly, should be prophecy. God speaking through his people. Sometimes preaching is not that, uh, sadly, but it should be. It should be prophetic. The nature of preaching should be prophetic. So moving forward here, how are we going? Prophecy releases life. Why prophesy? Prophecy releases life. Now, this is what Lena was praying. So I want, you to, I want to point out that the Holy Spirit's already moving in you. Lena started to pray for that breath of life to come to the dry bones. And we're going to re be reading about that in Ezekiel 37. Turn over there, Ezekiel 37. So what the Lord wants to encourage you with, and this is our leadership meeting, okay? We are, I'm training you guys. You guys are leaders and training you guys in leadership as well. And what I want to affirm to you is that the Holy Spirit is already moving among you. And Lena was already in the Spirit and praying this. Lillian was in the Spirit and praying what she was praying. And Anna leading us in, in uh, worship, worship and prophecy go together as we see in, in Psalms. We see that prayer, praise, and prophecy go together in Psalms. They intertwine one another. They interweave one another in Psalms. And you won't understand Psalms fully unless you realize that the three are being interweaved. You have prayer, and then you have prophecy, and then you have praise and all and other things, but you have all these things being interweaved. Well, prophecy releases life, and let's read this in Ezekiel 37. Let me read to you from, from the screen here. In Ezekiel 37, the Lord led Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. Death surrounded him. What was God's solution? What was God's solution? prophesy over these bones. That's what we read in verse 4. And we're going to read the, some of the passage here. But what was the solution to the dry bones and the death? Prophesy over these bones. When Ezekiel prophesied, the bones came together and life entered them. Ultimately, the bones became a mighty army. So let's read this some more. Ezekiel 37, 1. The hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Now, we're just going to stop there. I'm going to comment on there. God has also done the same thing in your life. He puts you in communities. He puts you in places. He puts you in your, in your workplace, your community, wherever it is. It could be in your family and home. And there's dry bones and death all around you. And it seems intimidating and it seems like an impossible situation because of the death. And how can bones do anything? Bones are lifeless. Bones don't move unless the, the wind blows them. And they, then they just move to another place, but they don't assemble themselves. 
bones are, you know, hopeless, lifeless. And here's the valley. This is, this is really the valley of death here. It's full of bones. And the Lord likes to put us in valleys, in impossible places. Because we are the ones to bring the change. We're meant to be the ones that bring the change, that call people out of darkness into light. Not to just accept, oh, all, all around me is a, are bones and I'm going to fall to pieces too. <laughs> I'm going to fall into a, a pile of bones too because everybody around me, everybody around me is bones and dead and dry. And I liked what Daniel said last week as he was exhorting us. He said, uh, don't be the uh, thermometer, be the thermostat. Because the th thermometer just reads the temperature, but the thermostat changes the climate. It changes the temperature. Well, now we get to verse 2. He led me back and forth among them. So it's like God is really making it clear to him that these things are dead. These people are dead. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> I love Ezekiel's answer here. I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. <laughs> uh, only you know. I think a good answer here. Then he, said to, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is why we preach. This is why we prophesy, because the word of the Lord releases life. And, and causes God to work. God works through his word. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. So he has to prophesy and he has to pro prophesy again. And the more he's prophesying, the more God is moving. As he's prophesying, life is released. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. That's the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Hallelujah. So from death and the grave comes, through prophecy comes, this mighty army. And that is what God has always intended for his people to be, a mighty army. A alive, full of his breath, full of his spirit, able to prophesy, able to be bring change. So now not, not only is Ezekiel prophesying, but everyone in this army can prophesy because they're filled with the Spirit, like in the book of Acts. So the Lord is looking for this army that is, uh, that is strong in him. And notice it comes to pass through prophecy. Ultimately, the bones became a mighty army. So the next thing, the third thing, is prophecy reveals God's perspective. We see things through our eyes, our perspective. So all of us see things through our eyes and our perspective. And if you think about Ezekiel, when he was seeing things from his own eyes, it was death. It was bones. It was impossibility. But he said something very wise. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then this caused him to enter into God's perspective, that God can bring life out of death. He's the God of resurrection life. And this is already 
a, a precursor foreshadowing in Ezekiel of Jesus' resurrection, as well as Jesus' resurrection is for the purpose of all those who will receive him will receive resurrection life. So prophecy reveals God's perspective. We see things through our own eyes, our own perspective. What seems successful and influential may not look good in God's eyes. And this is the thing we're often fooled by, the success, the influence. We think that that's powerful in God's eyes. It may not be. Uh, but also we may look at the bones and the dryness and the death and, and think, oh, this is an impossible situation. Prophecy reveals God's heart. It reveals God's heart. It reveals the Father's heart. It gives His thoughts and views on the matter. It gives His thoughts and views on the matter. Prophecy is a pathway to intimacy with God. So if we go, we're going to go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. And we see this in our, in our opening, uh, in our opening passage. These are the, the words that came before it. Jeremiah 29, 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So they may have thought that, hey, there's no purpose in us being here in Babylon. But here God gives his perspective of what they're called to do in their exile in Babylon. And then he also says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. This is speaking of the shalom, shalom. Also seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. These are heathen cities, but God wants his shalom in every city. God wants his shalom in Brisbane. And we got to pray for Brisbane as we prepare for the Olympics coming here. And the whole, all the nations of the world are coming to Brisbane. And we've got to get prepared and we need to start to prophesy and to pray for our city and that there would be shalom here and that people would come here and actually find Jesus, find salvation. Oh, that was a different Olympics because God's people have been praying for uh, how long is it away? Uh, nine years away, is it now? So... And this is God's heart. We hear his perspective. They would have thought, hey, let's let, the, let's let it all go to pots, these Babylonians. We don't like them. <laughs> God's saying pray for a shalom in their city. But we don't like them. They killed our, our babies and dashed them against the rock. And yet we're getting God's perspective here. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. prosper. If it has shalom, you'll have shalom. And then, it go, then God says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and uh, diviners among you deceive you. So there are false prophets. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So there's the whole issue also of false prophets. We won't have time to get all into that in this uh, message and let me say that in this message, I can't cover all the ground of prophecy because it's vast. I'm probably going to share more about it next week, too, because this week we're talking about the why and the purpose, and next week we'll talk more about the how and some safeguards. That's what I think. That's where I think the Lord is leading us, God willing. Of course, I need to be submitted to, the, to God, but that's where I think we're going. So prophecy is a pathway to intimacy with God. It reveals his perspective. Another thing, and I believe this is the fourth thing now, prophecy builds up. Prophecy builds up. Paul teaches us that prophecy strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Strengthens, encourages, and comforts. That word encourage there in the Greek is the one that is used for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Have you heard of that? It's like to come alongside someone 
and encourage them and exalt them. It's like to be a friend and to put your arm around someone. And that is uh, the word for encourage. Then there's another word that's very similar to that for comforting. And that's how Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 1 starts in this whole uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. We read, comfort, comfort my people. Nachamu, nachamu ami. It's very... In, in the Hebrew, nachamu, nachamu, ami, nehun, also means comfort, Nehemiah, comfort. So here, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, and that's what prophecy does. It comforts, it builds up. When spoken from a heart of love, and that really needs to be the motivation of prophecy, not everybody does prophesy out of a heart of love. Some to be known, competition, they're, they're deceiving themselves. We don't want to be like that. When spoken from a heart of love, prophecy builds us up. Through prophecy, God's house, which is his people, strengthens and fortifies. It's like adding stones to the house. It's like adding strength and structure to the house. It's like adding all the pieces and parts of the house so that it's strong and God can dwell in it and people can come. So prophecy builds up. Two more things, and we're almost at a conclusion here. Here I just want to pause and say, how are we going? Prophecy makes Jesus known. The fifth thing, prophecy makes Jesus known. The book of Revelation says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is a good one to remember. Revelation 19.10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The whole purpose of prophecy is to reveal Jesus. You'll find that all the prophets of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And New Testament prophecy, like the book of Revelation, is all about Jesus' glory. So this is the thing that uh, we do a whole, in Bible school, we usually do a whole unit on the book of Revelation. And usually, usually when it comes to the book of Revelation, people go down rabbit holes. And they go down rabbit holes because they forget what it's all about. And it's all about Jesus. And this is what we see here you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. That's verse 10. And the Lord is saying to him, write in a scroll what you see. Send it to the churches in order to build them up, encourage them, comfort them. But also there's conviction too. There's conviction and prophecy as God reveals himself. God reveals hearts. There is conviction and prophecy, conviction to cause people to repent. So let's not leave that out as well. Revelation 1.12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. The lampstands represent the churches. I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels. It could also be said messengers, the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are 
the seven churches. So this is how Revelation begins. It's a revelation of Jesus. And that's what the revelation of Jesus is what causes us to persevere. And that's what prophecy is all about. It's all about pointing to Jesus, revealing Jesus. It's all about his testimony. Last is that prophecy is good, but it must be tested. So God has made prophecy good. However, as we see, there is false prophets and there is prophecies that can be wrong. And there's a lot out there. Uh, so prophecy is good and God wants it. Let's not allow the, the falseness and, and people doing it out of the wrong motivation. Let's not allow us to reject true prophecy. But realize that prophecy must be tested. Not all prophecy is genuine. So it needs to be judged according to Scripture. So Scripture is the way we judge prophecy. This is how we know whether it's true, true or false. It needs to be judged according to Scripture. Now look at 1 Corinthians 14. Now there's been people that I believe in the church being like the early church. That's our goal as our, our church. Our goal is to be like the early church. And when... Uh, a visitor came in recently. He said, wow, this place is like, it doesn't have all the religion. It's like, it's like the early church. That was his testimony. And our dear brother is now uh, flying back to his home. But that was what he, he noticed. And that's our goal. That's our heart. One of the things I do is I let people prophesy and pray. I don't shut them down. And all of you are good. I don't, I, we haven't had issues in, in a while. But when the church grows and more people come and, and they speak out loud, I'm not going to shut them down. What I'm teaching all of you to do is whoever speaks, whoever says anything, you've got to judge it according to Scripture. <laughs> Waiting for the helicopter to pass. <laughs> you got to judge it according to Scripture. Of course, if somebody is really bad, we're going to have to kick them out. That's why we need Gideon back in church. He's the guy. <laughs> I think Peter has had to do that sometimes too. But let, let's look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. So it doesn't say don't stop the prophecy. It let them speak. But the others should weigh carefully what is said. You weigh it up. And that's what happens in a church that is uh, mature. There should be a, a weighing up of what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Really what it's trying to say there is that wait till the other person stops speaking, then you can speak. Uh, one person, because it's probably not written as well here, it could be translated just a little bit better, uh, tweaked a little bit. But uh, one person thought that if somebody was prophesying, this happened a few years ago here, <laughs> if someone was prophesying and they had a prophetic word, it gave them the right to stand up and to speak over them, and that other person was meant to stop <laughs> as they spoke over them. And it was a misreading of, of this, a misunderstanding of this. And we'll have to write to the NIV committee board and say, you know, you could tidy that up there a little bit so it doesn't sound like that. Uh, but what it's meaning there is let the first person speak, let them finish, and then when they stop, the next person speaks because everything is meant to be done decently and in order. Verse 31, For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So yes, you have a word. You don't have to speak it right that second you get it. You can wait, and it's good to wait, and control yourself and speak it at the right time. For God is not the God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. 
So we'll stop there. Uh, there is a verse here. Maybe I should mention this, but we could talk about this more next week. Women should remain silent in the churches, which is often taken uh, wrongly. And here it's having to do with women disrupting the church. It doesn't mean that women cannot prophesy because the scripture is, has lots of prophetic words from women. What, one of the great ones is Deborah in the book of Judges. And then you have those prophesying in the book of Acts that are the, the daughters of that man in the book of Acts. And you also have Mary, her whole song, her whole prophecy and is, is there in, in the New Testament. You have, so, and then in the book of Acts chapter 2, it says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters, and they will prophesy, sons and daughters. So prophecy is not limited to males, and don't kind of distort the scripture. And if you take one verse out of context and don't put it in the full context of scripture, you will silence the women so that they can't speak. Women can prophesy, women can preach, women can write, women can be used by God. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. But what Paul is saying and what the scripture is saying is, oh, we need to be submitted to one another and not do it in a rebellious way and not be disruptive. So we need to do it according to the authority that he has set up and do it respectfully. That is the issue at hand in scripture. Now, I didn't expect to talk about that this morning. Maybe I can develop it more next week. The, the goal here is what I'm trying to show you is that the, pro, the other people were to weigh up the prophecies that were spoken in the church. We need to discern if it's gold or fool's gold. Is it gold or is it something that just glitters and glistens, but it's not true gold? There are false prophets. Yet here I want to send a warning, yet not everybody who gets a prophetic word wrong is an imposter. Can I say that again? Not everybody who gets a prophetic word wrong is an imposter or a false prophet. Sometimes they're just growing. They're just growing. And so let's extend grace to good people growing in their gifts. We're not, if somebody gets it wrong, we're not going to say, oh, you're out of here. Uh, if they're a genuine believer on the way, we extend grace. We all need that grace. Good people need to grow in their gifting. And so grace should be extended. So now our last verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We're going to see this in 1 Thessalonians. Oh, where am I? I'm trying to look for 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 19, and to 24. And it's after, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. All this... Uh, uh, reading the Bible through our phones and computers is making us rusty. <laughs> All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Now here we see the growth and sanctification process. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So again, don't quench the fire of the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Don't despise prophecies because people get it wrong and don't despise it, but test all of them and hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil.
So that brings us to our last words. The, the chief shepherd restores our souls with his word spoken through his people. As you listen to Jesus and let the Spirit speak through you, you become a part of God's work of restoring his people into a mighty army. So I want to encourage you to be open to prophesying, praying prophetically, different forms of prophetic ministry, which may not always be first-person prophecy, at heart is hearing God and speaking and also submitting to what he says. But more about that more, more about that next week, more about the how next week. But as you prophesy, you're becoming a part of God's work of restoring his people into a mighty army. Hallelujah. So, Lord, right now, we want to thank you for this gift that you have given to your church. And everyone who is open to your Holy Spirit can prophesy. And they can share your heart and your word and, and give something that will encourage and build up and comfort. So we're asking a blessing. I bless this church that the gift of prophecy will flow and that it would be good and it would be genuine and, and true gold. And I ask a blessing on the body of Christ worldwide that the spirit of prophecy would flow through your people. But we would always be going back to the scripture, weighing everything up with the scripture. And right now we want to speak to your, to the, to your people, the lost sheep too, the dead bones in the ground, that they would come alive in Jesus' name that the lost ones, the, the straying sheep would come back into the fold, that the sons that have left the house would return to the house and that they would grow in grace. And that every ministry, Daniel and Diane on the road, the JC soldiers, every ministry represented here in the name of Jesus, that it would be strong in the Lord and the power of your might, that it would be a mighty army that it would be filled with the Spirit of God, that we would all be filled with the Spirit of God. And we would be a prophetic people. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this gift that we can speak the Word of God, that we can speak life, that we can encourage and build up. And it's all about you. Let it, be all, let it all be about Jesus. We're believing this year for a mighty harvest of souls. From the north, from the east, from the west, let the souls come into your house and into your kingdom. Let this mighty catch of fish come in and, and do, uh, do something beyond what we can ask or imagine. Thank you, Jesus. We give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. Amen.